politics Some culture and craft beer Politics And that is why you're here Politics Adam's up Welcome to Potoms Up. Fred and Blotto discuss the politics of today, the culture of our lives, and the beer of our state. Potoms Up, everybody. How's everyone doing out there tonight? This is episode 73 of the Potoms Up podcast. It's a hot-ass day out there in Michigan, and we're down in our basements trying to stay cool. So, 1973, what went on in the music world? There was a couple interesting uh, things that I found. And compared to 1972, which we don't ever want to talk about again, this, this, uh, this year actually has some interesting tidbits. Um, first, there was a death, always interesting, I guess, in certain circles. Uh, this was when uh, Jim Croce's died in a plane crash in Louisiana. Um, and then there was a big, huge, humongous album release in March of 73 and it was pink floyd's dark side of the moon and all three of us are huge fans of that album it it launched on march 1st and by april 28th that album had gone to number one and then it went on this is the billboard charts it went on to set the all-time record of staying on the charts at 741 straight weeks which is mind-boggling if you think about it. So it that, is. That was 1973. Woohoo! Doesn't it still make the top 200? Probably. I, I I think. What do they consider the Billboard? Is it the 100? Those two. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I think it's the 100. Maybe there's different Billboards. I don't know. But I I remember reading somewhere recently that it's it started hitting it again. Oh, it's an amazing album. So, yeah, even when it fell off, it did come back. I recall. How are you today? No, I'm doing terrific. Yeah, well, uh, why is that? Oh, no real reason in particular. Um, you know, got outside a little bit today. Cooled off in the pool momentarily. Um, you know, after a nice long walk, work was not stressful. Good deal. Mm-hmm. Gotta like that. How about you, Nobs? Oh, I worked and then did yard work. So, and I don't have a pool to go into either. So, today's not been a great day for Nobs here. <laughs> but it is the weekend. It's supposed to be a nice weekend. So, I guess I'll make the most of it. What choice do you have? I don't have one. There you go. Not good. Good deal. All right, Blatto, I believe it was your week for the brew. So what do you got? 
Sure. Uh, we're going to start off with a Big Lake Brewing. Uh, beer here um, called Healthcare Heroes, uh, which is a hazy double IPA. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I I picked out the beer. The, the, the can caught my eye, and I kind of figured, you know, they, they must be doing some kind of donation or something like that on the cause. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that's, that's always nice to, to give a shout out if they are, um, a couple of stats on it. It's, um, I believe 9% and, uh, middle of okay. the road hoppy with 45 IBUs according to their website. Uh, but not a, not a whole lot else on the, uh, you know, on the can in terms of what to expect. So should be a fairly basic double IPA. Right? You have me at 9%. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, what did, did disappoint me about the, the can, because I grabbed it out of the store and took off, was there, there is nothing on the can regarding the donations or what they were doing. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, is this just sucker marketing here? You know, and, <laughs> and shame on them if that's what they were doing, right? Um, now, I don't know why they don't put it on the can, but uh, there is plenty of information uh, written about this beer and uh, from like news outlets um, that uh, they took donations. That they don't really specify how much um, and how long. I think, you know, it's kind of like on the initial release, but they bought uh, meals for the healthcare workers at a couple hospitals. Oh, okay. Um, so that's kind of what they did with the donations. Um, I, I believe, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of vague, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. The meals could have been, I, I don't think the meals were, were for the patients. Okay. Well, it's, I mean, this is healthcare heroes, so I'm sure it's for, it says for the frontline workers. So, right, right. So, you know, nice, uh, very, uh, nice to do and hopefully, um, you know, the money really does get to the right cause. Um, I, I've learned to be over skeptical on charity donations. Maybe that's not a good thing. So according to their website, uh, they're using Mosaic and Idaho 7 Hops, whatever those are. And they describe it, because it's not on the can, as dank citrus with tropical fruit notes. Big body and uh then it tails off so <laughs> well i can smell the mosaic how about you guys i do um, too yeah can you smell the dank i mean dank usually is like in refer in reference to sort of that cannabis smell right i think anymore it's just a buzzword to get people to associate it with that well i can smell it you can smell the dank yeah i yeah yeah the the, the, the moist you know bud dank yeah mm-hmm um, Can we talk about the color, though? It's hazy, right? It's a beautiful color. Uh, it's that real nice, hazy, orange, pale color. It's beautiful. Um, it, and it's, yeah, it's it's very opaque. It's, it's one of the thicker hazy beers I think I've seen. 
Uh-huh. I would agree. I would say it's borderline a New England IPA with how hazy it is. Um, not pulpy, though. It's hazy. No, not right. Without the, uh, with, without the sediments. Um, you know, you know my, my initial reaction is the citrus and the dank and the high hops, it, 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 it's not really a for me beer. You know, and and I'm I'm hitting it pretty slow right off the bat. So even even if I really wanted to like the flavor, my actions speak louder than my words. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Fred, well, I'm going to be diametrically opposed to you. Uh, I I think it has a really nice bouquet, and. From the first sip, I liked it. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. I don't think it's too bitter. I, not at all, actually. And um, it, it's not offensive in any ways like some IPAs can be. So I, I think I think it's I think it's a nice beer. I like it a lot so far. Fred nailed it. Uh-huh. The only thing, I, it's a little bit bitter right off the get-go. It finishes very clean, though. Very smooth, drinkable. This is a real solid IPA. This is for me. Is it? Is it dry? Yeah, a little it, bit, yeah. I would say, yeah, if we're going dry based on how it finishes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, I you know, my tongue still kind of feels somewhat shriveled. <laughs> <laughs> from how dry it is it's it and uh and and and, and maybe that's why uh, you know as this type of ipa um I, I don't find it maybe as refreshing um and the uh citrus comes off as more bitter to me but you know i'm glad you guys like it very glad you guys like it because it's 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 more your kind of beer yeah i'm glad too i'm glad i like it I would definitely order another one. Not if I saw that can, though. To me, that can is a bummer. The label, not the can. The can, I got nothing against the can, but the label's kind of a bummer. Well, like we said earlier, I I was hesitant because the label does kind of scream to me like they're just marketing. And... um, you know, fortunately, they're not. So, you know, qualify that. But that's that's the way it came across. And, and you're right; there really isn't much to it. And, and I'm looking at a few other other labels on online, and um, they don't put a lot of thought into it. It looks like <laughs> there's no wet water. Y- yeah, yeah. Their, yeah, their, their, their labeling is pretty barren. Is uh, pretty basic stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing: if, if you look at the the can, and then you look at the label. And the label does not make the full circumference of the can. That's where they could have put the information about the meals, but they cheaped out on the label. Yes. Yeah. Real missed opportunity. Yeah. No. They put. They could have put a lot more information on there, and 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 uh, probably would have been able to to capture uh, some more interest. All right. All right. All right. So, Where do you want to start tonight, Fred? Well, looking at my trusty 
Timex watch here. I noticed today is June 19th. I thought you uh, were using the Franklin planner still. <laughs> oh, well, that too. I coordinate them. I sync them up every day. <laughs> With your Mont Blanc pen? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when those things were important? <laughs> you, the status of having a Franklin planner and a Mont Blanc pen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we're past that. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I still use mine. Isn't even a Franklin planner. Mine's. I think mine's a day timer. I didn't. Even, <laughs> that was I the didn't, poor man Franklin. Was the day timer. I am the day timer. <laughs> it's the same one I've had since. I want to say 1997 is when I got this day planner. Do, but they, do they, they still sell fillers for it? <laughs> Why do you think I still use it? My battery has never gone dead on my day timer. I've never lost any data. Uh, I think I think I gave that up when I got my uh, palm handspring. <laughs> look, look that up. Yeah, I, I, I actually still, I'm not lying. I still use I'm my crying day over here. I use it every day. It, if you went look at my home office, which is now my kitchen table, it's sitting right underneath my monitor. And hey, my, my morning routine is I'm having coffee. That's the first. I turn the computer on and I grab the day timer. Let's see what's happening today. And, I go and you probably it. got the poor man's Mont Blanc. You probably got a cross pen or something like that. Let's see what it is, this thing. It's a, it's a Bic. It's a Bic Atlantis. Yes. <laughs> nice call, Nobs. Uh, yeah, and I have a little uh, cheapo, what the heck is that brand? It's it, They're disposable mechanical pencils. Uh, maybe, oh, you know, those are Bic as well. I was going to say, probably Bic, Double right? Bicking, yeah. double Bicking, man. <laughs> okay, but back to, to to the seriousness of what you were saying, you were you were bringing to the mention that we're recording here uh, today on uh, June nineteenth, also known as Juneteenth, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, and and so really, we we would just you know wanted wanted to give an acknowledgement, uh, and uh, you know it's it's terrific that it's getting. The notoriety that it should, right? Yeah, it, it it's kind of sad that it's getting the notoriety it is because of the circumstances. But you take what you can get, right? You, you know, because it's being swept up. It's it's timely because it's happening. Why all these movements are gaining such momentum? And I think one of the reasons that it um, it isn't as well known uh, as other, see, I hesitate to call them holidays, other occasions, is because I, I don't know if it's really a time for celebration. And, and it would be better for us to have somebody from the black community comment on this. But I, I don't think this is something that they necessarily celebrate because 
you know, ending slavery, you know, shouldn't be something that is celebrated, right? Because it should never be there in the first place. Right. You, you know, it's, it, it's, um, and so I don't think it's ever been attached to celebrations and rightfully so, because it just reflects a dark part of our history. Um, so I, I just think it has to be recognized and uh, that becomes the reminder of, oh, slaves became free. Oh, we, you're right. We did have slaves. You know, that's the part that needs to be reminded to people that it was, you know, just a little bit more than 100 years ago that uh, a big swath of America thought that it was okay to own other human beings. Yeah, and I, I I have to admit it. You know, we we talked about this last week, and and I was kind of woefully ignorant on this whole thing, and uh, I misinterpreted what you guys were saying as far as like the um, the massacre that took place. I, I had no idea it had anything to do with the Emancipation Proclamation, and they were like, what, two and a half years late to getting to Texas to let them know, and, and that's really what the, the day is about, correct? Right, and and, and honestly, I didn't know about the Texas connection. I, I, I just really thought it meant the, the, the day that um, they kind of, you know, kind of called it, if you will, right? Right. That, that the, the slaves are free. Isn't that, isn't that just mind-blowing to think that the rest of the nation knew, but for two and a half years, well, at least most people were in the dark about it. I'm sure there were some that knew, just didn't want to tell anybody. <laughs> slave owners. Slave owners definitely knew. Yeah, but it was two and a half years until they finally got it read to them, the... Emancipation yeah. Proclamation was read to them in Texas, and you know it's just so weird. Well, I, you know, I believe either the two hours days to get around. It's amazing, you know. Well, I think also, and and again, a little sketchy on the history, but they had to send in either the Union Army or the National Guard or whatever it is to to enforce it. No, not surprising. You know, it wasn't just like, okay, the word spread and then, you know, all the slaves just walked off their, their property and all the slave owners said, okay. I, I think there had to be some level of enforcement there. No, I'm sure you're right. They wouldn't give it up easily. You know, again, kind of on the, uh, on the ignorance of, you know, my historical knowledge here, I guess, but Texas, you know, they were kind of a, uh, a sideline player in the civil war, right? When you think about it, when you think about the big battles, you don't really think about Texas. You certainly think about Texas in the South and you certainly can think about Texas as it relates to racism and, uh, you know, Jim Crow and, uh, all the oppression, um, that has occurred in that state and continues. But, as far as a civil war player, you don't really think of them very much. And I, I, I'd be interested in, in, in probably looking that up and, and, and understanding what their role was. 
in the South? Because it doesn't seem, you know, you think of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, you know, that's the Carolinas. That's kind of what you think about when you think of the Civil War. Texas was like the sixth man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming off the bench. That's right. <laughs> Just what needed. Last two minutes of the game. <laughs> the the that microwave. Was me in basketball. <laughs> that was Pistons that was reference. My basketball career. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, I think it's a, a, a fair acknowledgement, and uh, and and you're right. I mean, you, you know, the president's was <laughs> he was wrong when he said nobody ever heard of it. Okay, that's just ridiculous. He that made just, it famous. He he has helped bring attention to it. I, I I won't say that he hasn't. But when he says nobody ever heard of it before him, that's a racist comment. <laughs> because the people that have really heard of it is certainly the, the 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 large majority. I'll assume of people that have heard it have been in the black community, and. You know, he, he's just, you know, throwing a, a, a brush out there that said, says, you know, you, you know, you're 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 all ignorant. And thanks to me, I've, I've made this famous. Well, he, he also seemed to attribute a young black Secret Service agent kind of filled yes. him in on what it was about. And he was like, hey, did you guys know what this was? I didn't know what this was. What a Isn't moron. that like the definition of white privilege? <laughs> or white yeah. stupidity? Yeah, just swooping in and saying, "Hey, I've done more to promote this event than anyone else." Like, come on, that's so ridiculous. Well, we know his mo, and he does that with everything. So, but yeah, you know. <laughs> he he also said something equally, if not more, astounding in that interview. Um, I think it was with the Wall Street Journal uh, regarding race. Uh, here's a quote. Abraham Lincoln, because he did good, although it's always questionable, you know, in other words, the end result. Okay, it's word salad, but that's typical. But then you have to try and, like, you got to put on, you know, your your uh, uh, Trumpian language uh, you know, <laughs> decipher, decipher, right? Decoder. What does he mean? I don't know. That that wasn't the Queen's English. I do not understand it. I don't. It, speak it, that. It, although it's always questionable, you know. In other words, the end result. I mean, you know, and in other words, you kind of kind of have to take out of there, right? Those are like uh, they're not even qualifiers, right? They're. they're they're mainly verbal pauses because his brain is just spinning out of control. So if you take those words out of it and he says, although it's always questionable, the end result mm. is he, is he, the only way I can read that is to say that he, he, he's kind of implying that it's questionable that the, that the end result of the freeing of the slaves was questionable. No, no, I, that's how I see it when you put it in those terms. And and uh, and and the reporter that was interviewing him just let it go. 
Just let it go. Their head was probably about to explode. <laughs> this is what I noticed from Trump a lot, though, is he'll say a mm. phrase like that. And it's, I don't want to say built or designed in such a way because that gives him credit for actually thinking. But what it does is it allows the person who reads it or listens to it to use their own biased opinion to agree with that statement. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I don't think he's doing it by design because I think that's the way his mind thinks as well. So, you know, he might read or hear something from other racists who, you know, start kind of spinning these, right. These, uh, um, really so, deplorable yeah. kind of uh, narratives that the black people were happier when they were slaves, right? I mean, there, there's, there's a pretty large segment within the racist group that isn't afraid to say that. And, uh, uh, you know, so he picks up on that stuff. And I, and I think that's how it ends up sort of, you know, slipping from his tongue. Yeah, and but that speaks to multiple different types of people because right now one of the big things going on is tearing down confederate statues and banning confederate flags so someone could easily misinterpret that and you know talk about um you know rejoining the south together with the union maybe that wasn't so good and now that creates more of a division it's however you want to interpret what he's saying and his comments are so vague that allows people to do that uh, right. And, and then it allows him or his defenders to kind of twist it any way that yeah. they see fit. Yep. That's uh, not what he meant. It was a joke. Um, he really meant this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I hope to k- get back that I, I could segue into something on that, uh, knobs. So hopefully I'll get back to it. Um, but you know, you, you mentioned this thing about the statues coming down. I, I, I thought we had already fixed this at least the conversation, right? I, I, I thought after Charlottesville and, you know, I'm really surprised that this has come up again and that there are people that want to defend these statues as some sort of history. It's, it, it, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous, okay? They're, they're, they're not historical other than the fact that they're older, Right. If you want to say they're, you know, history is things. They're, that are they're not even that old. They're not that old. Correct. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, tearing down statues doesn't even erase history. Like, that's the part that really drives me crazy about this conversation. And I've had a lot of conversation this week that, you know, somehow or another, this relates to wanting to erase history. Blotto, when was the last time you were curious about history, so you went downtown to look at a statue to learn about it? Yeah, right. No, I I mean, (laughs) it it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, I I saw a great meme this week, and um, it, it said, some people are trying to convince others that the reason we elected Trump is because we don't have enough statues of Hitler or Mussolini. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to think about it, right? Like, what exactly what that means? And, and this is, 
The narrative that they're trying to portray, the people that are trying to support these statues, is that if we take these statues down, then history will repeat itself. So mm-hmm. if we take down statues of Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis, people that might want to own slaves and secede from the Union might come back up because we had forgotten about how bad they are. So because we forgot um, about how bad Hitler and Mussolini were, we've elected another fascist. Right. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's absolutely Ludicrous. I, I had a Facebook exchange with a guy and I could I could look it up where, you know, he, he's always about keeping these statues. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm not going to get into it with like his political mindset or whatever. But he tried to draw the analogy of why there still exists Auschwitz. Right. And, and I, I said to him, that's a great example. Because. I think Auschwitz should remain as a museum. But if you want to make the proper analogy to what's happening here in the South, then you would suggest that we need to put and erect a big, beautiful statue. And I put a picture of the one of Robert E. Lee up there of Rudolf Haas, who was the commandant of Auschwitz. (laughs) Right. And, and 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 that would be the, that would be a proper analogy uh, to say, okay? Because my whole point is that if we want to maintain the historical value of the Civil War, we should be erecting statues that talk about what that what that war was about. You know, you know, our our memorials should represent events, incidents, um, uh, you know, you know, larger context than people. And the equivalent to, you know, Auschwitz would be like a Gettysburg or Antietam historical site or a museum, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And they're not tearing that down. Correct. So the history is preserved in the historical sites. So yeah, there's that's two ways to look about it. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. It's just perspective. No, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's just and I and I and I thought we'd kind of gone through this already. You know, I, I was like, really, you people want to argue this again? You know, I, I got in another argument with somebody about it, and it was about they were trying to they refused to answer the question. Uh, okay, first they said that the Civil War. Uh, contributed to America's prosperity and that it was about the struggle of America. Okay. How how twisted is that? I was like, WTF? What struggle? The struggle to keep other human beings in bondage for your own profit? Like, what? The the struggle for cheap labor. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, that was the struggle? It was a struggle? the hell was she talking about and refused to answer the question do you think the south should have won (laughs) (laughs) unable to answer that question i I bet his answer probably would have been about the way it was it was was, was, sorry i assumed i shouldn't i i i bet it would have been about states rights 
you know, I was I was expecting that, but but, but yeah, no, that that's not comes where it up went. As the defense. Right, that's the most common one, right? No, no, she, I, I don't think that she even knew that argument that this was the war <laughs> of northern aggression against states' rights. Like that's the you know that's what they're teaching down there in Texas. <laughs> Can't even parrot the bullet points. What you're saying, yeah, right? No, it was about the struggle and America's prosperity. <laughs> well, what kind of blows my mind is how many Confederate statues there must be out there. Somewhere between seven hundred and fifteen hundred, according to the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. It just seems like every other day we're hearing about a statue that's been torn down. It's like, how many of these statues are down there? Come on. There's a lot of them. There is. Uh, and most and of I, I heard, I didn't do any research on this, but I heard most of them were erected during the civil rights movement. Yes, during Jim Crow and civil rights and the push for civil rights. Uh, that's when most of them went up. By the Daughters of the Confederacy, most of them. It was a reminder. It was an intimidation factor. And Lee didn't even want statues. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but okay. No, it, was, it was written by him in a speech or in his book. It said that he did not want statues of the Confederacy to go up because it would inhibit the healing of the nation. Uh, interesting. Interesting. You can fact check it. No, I, 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 I'm actually going to go with you on this. I'm not sure I got 100% of the details correct, but I know it was Lee, and I know he did not want them. Uh, you had mentioned something when I said I wanted to go off in this tangent. Do you remember what it was? Um, somehow it, it played into uh, the truth. And I came across this today, and I know it wasn't on our list of things to talk about, but I thought it was too sweet to pass up. Um, today in court, Fox News argued that Tar Tucker Carlson doesn't have an obligation to tell the truth. <laughs> Didn't they say something about they didn't know how anyone could take what he says as the truth or as news? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Fox News is admitting that one of their segments does not actually contain any news right what they're, and, and as a matter of fact um, uh, they're also basically admitting that he plays a right wing shrill yeah yeah, he's, a, he's a performance artist, basically playing the character of a right-wing conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tucker, Tucker Carlson is a character. See, he, he, he changed and he sold his soul when he got rid of the bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bow tie went and so did his soul. I don't know that he will lose this case. It, 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 they're very difficult cases to um, uh, to win. Uh, it's a defamation uh, case brought by Karen McDougal, uh, one of uh, Trump's trollops. Uh, 
And, um, but apparently uh, in some segment back when this was kind of more newsworthy, he lumped McDougal in with uh, Stormy Daniels saying that these two women were extorting Trump. And McDougal did no such thing. Um, uh, You know, and, and really, I mean, whatever, Stormy Daniels, she got paid, but McDougal didn't. Um, uh, so, so she's, she's suing Carlson for, for defamation, uh, basically, uh, you know, saying that she accused him of a felony and of something that, you know, she didn't do. And his legal argument is, uh, yeah, no, it's all, uh, it's, it's, it's all fake news. (laughs) And, and, and. And it's interesting that his lawyers brought up the New York Times, saying that they are not the front page of the New York Times, except for Tucker Carlson often accuses the New York Times as being an unreliable news source. <laughs> Who are these people? You, you got to love it when these things, <laughs> you know, kind of when it gets gets down to the truth right when it just <laughs> wow um so i didn't mean to, to throw that one in there but i did come across it today and i just thought it was uh you know but he'll but he'll probably win you know that big mouth uh, judge janine she won her she won her case uh, against uh what's his name from uh black lives matter Delray McKesson. I'm, I'm probably butchering that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Existing cases. Pardon me? I didn't even know these were existing cases. Yeah. So uh, during the uh, Ferguson riots and uh, or back then, uh, Ferguson protest, uh, uh, he was one of the kind of co-founders of Black Lives Matter. And she accused of, uh, him of inciting the riots that also occurred. Um, and so he sued her for defamation and lost. Um, and uh, would have to go back and look at that case to see exactly why, why he lost. But I think, it, I think it, it probably fell under entertainment. It's like a variety show, right? Uh, yeah, more or less, yeah. I mean, the only good news is that Carlson is losing advertisers. But Fox News isn't. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what matters. You're right. You're right. What else is in the news? Well, I I thought it was kind of comical this week um, with, with the whole... John Bolton book and the uh, constant parade of people in and out of the White House that dear leader calls losers, wackos, um, insane, uh, over their liars. head. They're all liars. Wackos, whatever. It, it, there was a reporter this week that point blank asked the president, why do you keep hiring people you believe are wackos and liars? And he just was deadpan staring at her 
and he wouldn't answer the question. Because he doesn't have an answer. It was hilarious. He only hires the best, right? Isn't that his mantra? Uh, that was that was part of it. Maybe yep. he hires the best, but by the time he's done with them, they're no longer the best. I, I don't know. Well, when he hires somebody, it's a matter of loyalty, and he prefers for them to be incompetent. And when they either become too competent or less loyal is when he gets rid of them. And that that also lends itself to why there were so there are so many acting whatevers. Yeah, that has to be fixed. I, I mean, Congress doesn't do shit. And, you know, I don't expect them to do anything about this either, but they need to. Yeah, I mean, you can go 100, what is it? I think it's 180 days with these acting people that no one has vetted. No one has asked a single question of. And they're in there running the, the biggest agencies and functioning parts of the government on the planet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That affect more lives and eat up more money. But anyways, I, I thought getting back to that reporter, that was hilarious that she she pinned him in a corner and he couldn't move. He was frozen. I, I was I was trolling Breitbart again this week about Bolton because, you know, they, they put up some sort of slanderous thing about him. And I said, y'all love Bolton when he hired him. <laughs> it's true. And, yeah. and you're talking about revisionist history. You talk about them wanting to tear down the statues of Bolton. The, the you know, 16 or whatever, 30 comments that I had following that were, uh, Bolton was a scumbag and always was. Bolton is, you know, rhino. Bolton was never a Trump person. I mean, it was like, you people are nuts. So are you saying we should erect a statue of Bolton so we learn from our mistakes? <laughs> so we don't forget about him. We don't forget about it, yes. Yeah, we need more statues of warmongers. This way, we don't go to war. Well, you know, the thing about Bolton, too, is there, there's a lot of these characters that have gone in and out of the, the revolving door on the front of the White House that they can slam and try and make stuff stick. But the difference between them and Bolton is Bolton is the poster child for the hardcore GOP for the last 25 years. You know what I mean? He, he's been around since Reagan, and he's always been the golden child of the GOP and the, and the conservative movement. And I, I just think all even the attempts they're trying to get stuff to stick to this guy. It's just not going to. Well, he's I, probably the exception to the rule. You know, he's a, I, not they're, that they're I don't like him or support him or whatever it is. He is what he is. Uh, yeah. Um, and you know, they want to paint him as a liar now. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm sure he's lied plenty. Okay. <laughs> But when you when you put what he is saying 
into, you know, the, 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 the larger puzzle that is this administration and this president, it doesn't, it sure doesn't seem like he's lying to me. <laughs> you know, it, like it fits, it fits very easily. You know, what's hysterical is you've got dumbass calling him a liar, blah, 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 and this and that, and, and the things he's making stuff up, but yet, they want to classify what he's making stuff up as secret or. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't do it both ways. Which is it? Is he a liar or is he uh, sharing classified information? He can't do both. Um, <laughs> you can't have light and dark at the same time. It's one or the other. Uh, they're scrambling. Oh, of course. You know, and, 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 and they being not just dumbass, but also Peter. It sure seems like he's going to protect them to the end. Didn't they, ha- didn't they have like a, an emergency court proceeding today trying to, to stop the book from coming out, even though there's an estimated 200,000 copies <laughs> that have been passed out to the press amongst... You know, all over the country. Uh, yeah, like it's 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 already out, and, and and excerpts are already being published, and people are already talking about what's in the book. Um. Uh, you know, it, it is infuriating. It, it it doesn't make me a John Bolton fan. You know, not one bit more. Like, not in the slightest, right? I, oh, hate, he's a piece of shit. I hate that prick. He's he's the biggest piece of shit on the planet. If he, if he knew all of this stuff, you know, he was in the room during the Ukraine call. He was in the room during this supposed um, groveling by dear leader to uh, Xi from China. He was there in both cases, and yet this guy didn't do anything about it. But now he's pouring it out in this book, hoping to make a buck. He's no boy yeah. scout. He's no hero. Yeah, fuck Bolton. Fuck Bolton. He's a piece <laughs> right. of shit. He's a piece of shit, but it doesn't change the fact that we're going to ram this stuff down dear leader's throat as well. It's, yeah, no, it, 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 doesn't make, it doesn't make Trump any less a piece of shit. Right. 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 Sure. <clears throat> <laughs> is it, those are those are sad ways to measure things, aren't they? <laughs> Do you guys see there's another book coming out about Trump? Oh, it's from, from his, his nep- niece. Niece, yeah. Now I heard he's trying to block it, but I don't know if that was real news or fake news. No, he is. Oh no, he's trying to. Of course, he's trying to. That's it, his it, go-to is to try to sue somebody. Do you remember the New York Times thing about his dad's all that financial mishmash? Well, there there was the unnamed source back then. Well, that's her. She's exposed mm. herself because she was right in the thick of all of that mess. So, and, and that's supposedly what her book is about. And so, oh, he, he he's trying to uh, stop her as well. I mean, he's not gonna. He's not gonna do it, right? He's not gonna succeed, is he? I don't think so. 
On what grounds? It's not it's not under his uh, magical umbrellas of uh, presidential immunity, uh, blanket immunity. Yeah, blanket immunity. I mean, so (laughs) how could he stop? His only hope is to get it in the courts and slow it down. I I don't believe he believes he can stop it. Uh, Which is the only game that he knows. Yes, exactly. I mean, I had to look this up earlier this week. He's been named in 3,500 lawsuits. Some mm-hmm. brought by about, and by half and half. Some people have brought him against him. He's been, and, and he's been the uh, initiator in the other half. It's, it's incredible. That's staggering. If you think. It, it is true. I mean, I don't know if there's a record for one single person in the United States. <laughs> he's rivaling Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, Led Zeppelin in spirit over Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I think there were 3,500 lawsuits over that. I want to I remind you guys, you never shuffle Pink Floyd. <laughs> That's one of our better episodes. Yes, it was. Uh, like, like that's, that's, a, that's 100 lawsuits over 35 years straight. <laughs> it's like every third day getting sued. <laughs> every third day for 35 straight years, you're going to file a lawsuit or have to respond to a lawsuit. <laughs> That's a, it, it, that is so insane, and this is who people half the country <laughs> wanted to be president because he's such a good businessman. Because because he's not he's not part of the swamp. <sighs> Unbelievable. Thirty five hundred. <laughs> wow, it is uh, <laughs> truly staggering. Well. Hopefully he's not going to be president for long if we're to believe the polls. But do we believe the polls, Fred? I don't believe any polls. I, I, I don't. It, it just because it's hocus pocus. But to, to me, sometimes they, they can be entertaining, though. And um, we know Dear Leader blows his top especially if, if Fox comes out with a poll that it's not favorable to him. And uh, they, they came out with one this week that had Biden up by 12 points. I think Biden was at 50% and yeah, he was at 38. This is a Fox poll. Then there was a Quinnipiac. What is it? Quinnipiac? Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac poll, I believe. Dear Leader was at 44, and Biden was at 52. Still eight points. but what, and, and Fred, I saw another one that had Biden up by 16. 16? I don't know which one it was, but yeah. That 16. was the bottoms up poll. <laughs> <laughs> now that's legitimate. Uh, and it was us three and Oki. <laughs> <laughs> that math does not check out. I don't know. I, I just, just saying. Well, you know, after after the 2016 election, you know, with if the polls would have held out, 
Hillary would have won and we wouldn't we wouldn't have a podcast. Hold on, hold on, Fred. Let me correct you on that. That, that, that is not true. Okay. The, the polls in 2016 were actually very accurate. Uh, I, I believe, uh, but you have to look at everything in time. Like you said, it had the polls held out, right? But the, the idea that the polls in 2016 were accurate uh, is really kind of a misnomer. Hillary, I think, was up night of the election, which is really the only one that matters, right? I mean, you can't look at what happened on election day and look back at a poll that was taken in, in January or February. And I, and I believe she was up like only three or 4%. And she ended up winning by like two and a half percent. But even if she would have lost the, uh, the popular vote, the three or 4% were still in the uh, margin of error of whatever it was, four or 5%. So the, the polls were very accurate in 2016. What the posters got wrong was the electoral college modeling, saying this state will go Hillary and this state will go Trump and this state will go Hillary. That's what they got wrong. That fact that no one had anticipated that Trump was going to basically run the table on the purple states. So it was the modeling that was wrong and not the polling. Okay. And, and you could be, you, you, you could go maybe a little deeper and talk about the polling by state. So the reason that they said Hillary was going to win Michigan was because that polling per state was way off. But I think even on those, most of those were also within the margin of error. See why I hate polls? I mean, I mean they don't even they, – they do a lousy job of state polling. And, and, and I've bitched about this on other, you know, previous podcasts because, you know – well, why did Biden win South Carolina by, you know, 16 points, right? He, you know, Bernie was, you know, or, or Biden was only supposed to win by three points, you know. So sometimes the statewide polling can be, be wrong, but, uh, and, and that's really infuriating. And that's still what, what, what it comes down to for 2020. I mean, for, forget about 16 points or, or 12 points Biden lead. What's his lead in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota? Michigan's like double digits. I think that's what you're thinking of, Nobs. It might be. It might be Michigan. Yeah, uh, last I saw, he was leading in six swing states. What about what Sean Spicer has said? If, if, if you even knew he was still saying things. <laughs> Isn't he dancing with the stars? Um, oh, he lost that, I think, badly. <laughs> Shocker. He, he, he said that uh, the polling is bad because Trump voters don't want to admit they're going to vote for Trump. He but they're still going to vote for Trump. He could be right. I, 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 I'm glad you said that, Fred, because he I, might I, have something. I, right? I don't doubt that for a second. The, the pieces of shit are still going to vote for the the piece of shit, but they're just not going to tell the pollsters w- what shitty things they're going to do. I, I don't I don't doubt that. <laughs> and, and, until it's a hundred percent spread, I don't doubt any of it. You know, 
Yeah, right. No, and until we wake up that early November morning and, uh, you know, Biden has enough electoral votes. He's still not going to leave the, the, the oral office. Uh, I don't know about that. I out of there by his wig. I, 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 God, I hope America doesn't get to that point. I, I, I try not to think about that really, really horrific problem. But you have to with this guy. Uh, only in the context of, think, yeah, we can talk about it, but not, think, I, I, I can't think about it in any realistic sense. It's, it's just fodder. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, only because I don't want to. I, although, only because I don't want to, I, I don't want to believe that we're going to have to call in the National Guard or somehow or another there's, there's, there's going to be, you know, some sort of, you know, law enforcement wrangling or legal wrangling, or whatever it's going to be. I, I mean, maybe someone will kneel on his neck for eight <laughs> minutes and forty-six seconds. You know, you know, Fred, that would that would have got you thrown in Facebook jail right there. Uh huh. Is there a podcast jail? No, unfortunately not. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. That's- you know, we are really practicing our First Amendment rights here. But for how long? <laughs> Get in all you want to say now. <laughs> hey, Pop-Tart has always said that, you know, the feds are going to become knocking on our door any time now. That we have crossed too many lines and pissed off too many people. And that's why we use the nickname, so they can't find us. <laughs> I think they can follow your IP address. Knobs? <laughs> Aren't you like a shield? Uh, I'll be right back. I have a knock on the door. Uh, there, we, He ain't coming back, Fred. <laughs> All right. We ready to move on? I don't know. Are you? Any, anything else? Anything else to add? What about a, what about a recap on the beers? You guys are still in the for me camp. I love it. Oh no, I I really like this beer. It was good top to bottom. Yeah, we we have a winner, but it's by split decision. And I finished it a while ago. Uh huh. I still have about an inch and a half left. All right. Well, it is for me. It's a strong for me. Yeah. Like I said, split decision. But it does does carry the day. Okay. So what's up next? Treasure trove time. Blatto, what you got? Uh, up here for the second offering is another odd side product, and this is the pineapple hop milk. Um, and I originally purchased this beer. Uh, for uh, myself and Pop-Tart's own enjoyment. And as it turned out, it's like, well, let's put it on podcast and see what it's all about. And I have not had it. So it is a IPA brewed with lactose, vanilla, and pineapple. Um, and I, I, think I, I think I like milk beers and milkshake-style beers. I, I think that's something that I, I'm definitely leaning towards. I'm really glad we were all able to find this as well, too, because the pineapple to me sounds good. And then with the, 
the milk part of it, I think they're going to complement each other really well. So I, I'm I'm excited about this beer. I, I hope it lives up to my expectations. It is 7.9% ABV. Well, that's Ooh. one expectation, Matt. <laughs> uh so also joining us uh, for this segment and the beer is our friend Dill, who has been on the show before. Welcome back, Hello. Dill. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Uh, you have been on before as we've uh, uh, talked a little music, and that's where we're going to kind of go um, today. Uh, and uh, so I guess, you know, you're kind of our, our, our resident music expert, if you will. But let's try out the beers. Um, how did it pour? Beautifully. Um, slightly creamy color, right? And uh, yeah, I got a just just you know nice head on mine. Three eighths of an bit. inch or so. Hmm. Interesting smell. Ooh. Wow. That's a slap you in the face beer, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Are you awake? You are now. <laughs> um, it's probably going to take a couple of sips for me. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, Dill, have you had your first sip yet? Yes, yes. Um, uh, it's a little more hoppy than my uh, personal liking, but uh, it's full of flavor. I'll tell you that. It, it is a good blend of the pineapple and the hop. Um, I think, and I, I agree. It's. it's it might be a little hoppier than I, I prefer as well. Um, and hoping that the lactose kind of smooths it out, but so far it hasn't. I wouldn't know this is a milk beer. No, me either. Fred? Yeah. Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> this is different for sure. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't recall having a beer that tasted this way. It, it's almost like drinking juice to me with the, the on the front end for sure. Yeah. On, on the back end, there's the beer, but on the front end, it, it, it is very much like drinking some sort of pineapple juice concoction. Yeah. I, mean, I, I expected it to be a little smoother because of the lactose thing as well. But like you say, maybe that kicks in, you know, once your mouth gets um, used to it, mm. I don't know. I, I'm not jumping out of my skin over it, but uh, I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, Mine also wasn't as chilled as it probably should have been. That probably would have made a difference for me. For me. Was it lukewarm? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I heated it first. <laughs> <laughs> Knobs, right. uh, I'm I'm not sure what to make of this beer right now. I think that's kind of where we're all at. I didn't expect it to be like this at all. I, I guess I also was expecting it to be sweeter. Yes, yeah, yeah I I was too. I have- I thought I thought the milk and the pineapple would kind of like mellow it out, but sweeten it and it wouldn't be as bitter. I wasn't expecting to get kicked in the face like that. Very much IPA. It's it's much more IPA than it is anything else. Yeah, um, I got got uh, quite a few floaties too, uh, pulp and uh, whatever that stuff is that you know it settles in in IPAs, um, which I'm not a big fan of. 
I'm probably going to go not for me on this. Already, eh? Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I can already give my answer. I wouldn't rebuy it, but I'll, I'll finish what I bought. Uh, correct. It's not a bad hey, year. Yeah. You, you know, uh, that's that's the, the right way to look at it. As a matter of fact, it's, it's so funny when we go back and, and have beers that we reviewed or have a beer uh, and then, you know, something that we reviewed prior. This happened to me yesterday. I had a uh, a checked in the head. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I put that down as a as a not for me beer during that podcast. But I thoroughly enjoyed it yesterday on deck. So go figure. Go figure. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, anything to more? Uh, anything more to add on the beer, or we'll kind of jump into the topic uh, that I'm really excited say, about. I, I, I think I'm with you. I think this is going to be a not for me right now, unless it mellows out halfway through or something. You know, a pineapple beer is a good idea. I think I, I don't have a problem with marrying up those flavors. I, I'm just not sure that doing it in a really hoppy IPA is the way to do it. I would agree. Agreed. Cool concept, poor execution. All right. So um, one of the uh, one of the reasons that um, we invited our special guest here today is because I know that he is a true Bob Dylan aficionado and fan. And uh, today we had you know talked about at the beginning of the show that it's Juneteenth. And uh, it, of course, it's a very important historical day. Uh, but there was another thing that happened uh, today, which is in its own right, somewhat historical, not on the same level. But uh, it, it does make you wonder if the new release, um, or Bob Dylan's new release, Rough and Rowdy Ways, coincide with Juneteenth, uh, coincidentally or not. Um, uh, you know, uh, being such a proponent of civil rights as he has been in the past, it's hard to believe that it, it is just a coincidence that the album gets released on this particular day. Um, but nonetheless. Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, it may not have been a mistake because uh, Love and Theft, for instance, was released on 9-11. Oh, interesting. So he, so he, uh, you know. I, so it might be a little prophetic is what I'm saying. Obviously, he didn't plan that, but it's just interesting how these dates have lined up in his career. And uh, Street Legal was released on your birth date. Yes. <laughs> that's that, interestingly enough, that's when I uh, discovered him and, you know, and uh, fell in love with, with his music and lyrics. Um, freaking me out, man. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It, it, it is true that that album was re released uh, on the same date as, uh, not the same year, but close enough. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I, I thought, you know, we kind of would talk about, um, you know, the, that the, the fact that Dylan is, is still relevant. And when you look at this mm -hmm. album being released, it's his first new original material uh, in eight years since 2012 um and it's uh hit the uh the airways with tremendous reviews um there have been three songs that have been 
pre-release, pre-release. Thanks. Um, and you know, the, the first one murder most foul is a 17 minute, um, historical sort of accounting of JFK's assassination, um, only brought to you the way that Dylan could do it. And so that kind of set the tone, but the rest of the album, uh, has been, um, you know, been anticipated here with bated breath by Dylan fans everywhere. So much so that he did set a record by, uh, premiering at number one on both Amazon and iTunes, uh, today. Um, and that has never and happened. Also on, uh, right. Also on uh, billboard digital as well. Number one there as well. Um, and, and he, he beat out some other heavyweights. Uh, uh, John Len, uh, John Legend also released something today, as well as the uh, highly, uh, maybe maybe not highly anticipated, but the somewhat anticipated uh, 1975 follow up to Neil Young's Harvest. <laughs> uh, that was also released today. <laughs> okay, uh, it, it was buried. Um, I, I, there's there's quite a bit of a story to it, and it was never released. The follow up to uh, to Harvest, um, and I have not heard it, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but but anyway, back back to Dylan. Um, you know, it's it's just remarkable that he is able to do this at age 79. Uh, correct. I mean, this is his 39th album over 58 years and to have this come out and being hailed is uh just an incredible recording is just a testament not only to his stamina but to his genius uh so uh you know some of the terms people were referring to on this uh on this release are uh from the critics are terrifically inspired best in decades uh, i mean best since blood on the tracks in 75. yeah uh, i've seen that career, too yeah a late career triumph uh you know five stars masterpiece you know, and, and people have to decide that for themselves, but you'd be hard pressed to find a negative or even an average review on this, uh, on his latest release. Yeah. The, the one thing that, um, that kind of struck me in reading some of the reviews was, uh, that, uh, it, he really put the focus back on lyrics and, you know, his three albums prior to this, uh, were called his Sinatra years. Um, and and he, he did standards and crooning and that kind of thing. Um, so they weren't necessarily his lyrics, obviously. Um, you know, the, the tune, the, the, the tempo and the melodies of these songs are, are good. Um, they, they, they cut across the board to, to upbeat, to uh, um, very sort of, you know, uh, melodramatic. Uh, but the, the lyrics are just out of sight and, and you know, he he puts things uh, down on paper that mere mortals are just not able to do. <laughs> that, that's that's a good way of wording it. I mean, uh, some of the lyrics that have jumped out at me uh, from this recording, uh, just some of the one liners that are just typical Dylan. Uh, I sleep with life and death in the same bed. Uh, you girls mean business and so do I. Uh, you know, you just and there's hundreds of those. I can't remember when I was born, and I forgot when I died. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's crazy good right there. Right, Blatter, you 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 have a couple of you know lyrics that jumped out of you. But here's one from uh, 
the epic song, Murder Most Foul, which is what is truth and where did it go? Ask Oswald and Ruby, they ought to know. I mean, the point being is that just nobody writes lyrics like that or dares to. You know, um, in when I when I when I'm listening to this to this album, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, what genre do I put Dylan's music in? Say, you know, starting with "Time Out of Mind," like if I took that era, you know, the late '90s, and the number of studio albums that he's had since then. I mean, he was a folk artist. And he still talks in many ways about uh, society. And if that's the only thing that really, you know, if that's your only uh, uh, measurement for what's a folk artist. Um, but I don't think so. I, I think it's, I, I, you know, I'm, it, it's so unique. I don't even know what, where to put it. And that's been typical of him throughout his career of not knowing how to define the, the style of music. Uh, that that's not a common, but I, I mean, at its core right now, it's it's more blues, or its roots are in the blues more than anything. Uh, but uh, you know, but the, the, this this latest release is all over as far as the types of music that it contains, between love songs and hardcore blues, and uh, you know, but you're certainly not going to find pop type songs on on any of his recordings. And this this recording is definitely not made for casual listening. None, none of his recordings are. Um, like, this is one that you just have to sit down and really focus on the lyrics. And, and, it, and with a lot of his recordings, like this one, it, it takes repeated listenings to start to pick out the gems and, and, and find out the magic in it. And the way that he assembles them. I mean, there, lots of people can write really great, meaningful lyrics. But when you assemble them and you put them together the way he does, um, and the sequencing that he he does them in, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's there's anyone better ever. Certainly, when you look at total body of work. Uh, hey, Nobs, what I what yeah, what I wanted to do is because we're talking about the album so much, but we don't want to spend a lot of time. Is I, I want you to play a cut um, off of uh, False Prophet, and um, uh, and and you know, as Dill mentioned, one of my favorite lyrics within. Uh, within that song. So g give that a rip now. I'm first among equals, second to none. The last of the best, you can bury the rest. Bury them naked with that silver and gold. Put up six feet under and I pray for their souls. Okay, so you know, for those that didn't quite catch it, um, you, you know, to, to me, a line that just jumped out from this entire album says, "I'm first among equals, second to none. The last of the best. You can bury the rest." I, 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 I think there's so much in that. I mean, he's he. I think it's all about equality. And, uh, you know, he's still pushing the boundaries of social commentary. But, but I'll also say this. I feel like just in general, and, and, and Fred, I want to get you in on this too. Uh, 
people love dissecting Dylan's lyrics. And he's always kind of challenged people on that. Like he just, you know, you can interpret what he wrote, but he doesn't really want to spell out why he wrote it. And oftentimes he uses, you know, uh, phrases like, I just put the words together. Um, and, you know, oh, you call that a protest song. Um, but I think it, cause it, it's, it's sort of, I don't know, is it dangerous to try and read into Dylan lyrics? I don't know who you're throwing that out to, but I think with any great art, uh, that's the challenge, whether it be a, a, a piece of art hanging on a wall at a, at a museum or a great piece of music or a great piece of classical music. It, it, it's up for people to interpret out of it. And he's leading that up to, in his case, the listener uh, to interpret what what they want to take out of it, in my opinion. Uh, so let's let's get Fred and, and, and Nobs in here a little bit. And uh, uh, Fred, I mean, you 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 haven't been quite around as long as, as Dylan, but <laughs> close. But, but you're old. <laughs> I, I I know you're not a huge fan. I, I don't really know where you fall on the spectrum. Huge. No, that would not be me. <laughs> do, do, do you put him in the overrated category? I can't because I would put him in the not misunderstood, not understood enough category. I mean, to, uh -huh. to you and Dill go back and forth, you you guys are definitely on a different level of appreciation and and worship. Um, I had to throw that in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I... I'm going to be honest with you in the fact that my Dylan knowledge is on the commercial level for the most part, with the exception of a few songs. Um, but I will tell you this, and I may shock you, I listened to the album twice today, just trying to get a feel for it. And so I could hopefully jump in on it, but that does not answer that question. Uh, well, okay, then just as it relates to this release, uh, I mean, what what did you think overall? My overall impression was I hated myself for loving it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, I really did. And I was blown away how good he sounded and that I could understand his English, which to me is a little bit of a... a a grind about him, but everything was enunciated very nicely and in, in the Queen's English. And so I appreciate it because even as I was listening to it while I was working, but I could still pick up on what he was putting down. So no, I, I really enjoyed it actually. Um, listen to it on Spotify. I don't remember Murder Most Foul, though. I don't remember a 17-minute song. I remember all the other ones. I'm, I'm looking at the, the rundown of it, but I don't remember hearing that. I wonder if that's not on Spotify. You would have remembered it. Because <laughs> it goes on forever. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Interestingly enough, if you if you bought the, uh, the, the CD version, uh, which I don't believe is shipped yet, uh, Murder Most Foul is on its own CD. 
So he, he puts the first nine tunes on, on one CD, uh, on one disc, and then the second disc is, is Murder Most Foul. And you can't purchase just that song on iTunes. You have to purchase that with the album. So well, it's, they, should, they should count it as three songs then. Um, hey, you know, I purchased it on iTunes. It, it was only ten ninety nine. Like, like, you know, to, to me that, that, that says, you know, he's not trying to gouge anybody. No. Yeah. I agree. Or there's no more demand than just you two. <laughs> number one, number one, number one on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Billboard. Yeah. Uh, just having some fun with you. Hey, hey. So, what about what about you, Nobs, our resident millennial? Yes. <laughs> um. What are you asking me? If I listen to the album? No, no. What, like what is your album? level of appreciation or not for 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 Dylan? I can only name one of his songs. Mm. What song would that be? Uh the times they are changing. Okay. Uh, still uh, I'm, sure if I, I'm sure if I heard some other ones that I would know the songs themselves, I just can't associate them with Bob Dylan. Right. Um, you know, there's there's not there's not many people that really fall into the category of living legend. You know that 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 really requires you know quite a bit, um, and uh, certainly I, I think uh, Dylan is the antithesis of a living legend. One, because he's still here. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he survived. Yes, he has survived. And, you know, when with this release... Isn't the antithesis the opposite of something? I don't know. I think I said I, that before. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to cut in. <laughs> the pinnacle. How about the pinnacle? That okay. makes more sense. <laughs> but with this release, you also think that he probably has a lot more to give. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, 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 people have to wonder. He's seventy-nine right now, and this, by the way, this album was probably recorded two years ago and then mixed last year. You know, it was probably recorded in two locations. So he's very secretive about that now, but uh, but uh, and then released this year. But uh, yeah, it, it's is this his swan song? Could this be his final recording at the age of seventy-nine? Uh, it very well may be. I mean, particularly given the fact that Tempest was released, you know, eight years ago. Uh, but even if this is, what a way to go out. And But even beyond that, he has almost unlimited music still in his vaults, you know, waiting to be released. So, yeah, but, uh, unfortunately, we're not done with Dylan yet. He's, he's got a lot more material out there that he'll, that years from now will be, will be released and dissected and enjoyed, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, he might have found himself in a position of this is hard to top, too. <laughs> well, he usually follows up a masterpiece with a lousy recording. That's that in the past. So, uh, uh, so we'll see if he does that this time. I did want to bring up one more point on um, the song that, that we listened to, False Prophet, uh, because it is one of the negative comments about uh this album and that's as with countless dylan songs some of the music not the lyrics but the music is lifted you could say stolen uh from previous artists you know for instance the false prophet song is 
it's a dead ringer for uh, Billy Emerson's 1954 single, uh, If Love Is Believe In You. Dead ringer. Mm-hmm. But all the lyrics are changed. Uh, but it's just a standard 12, uh, 12-bar blues riff is what it is. So, you know, some of these new songs aren't entirely new, but, they, but they, for Dylan, this is nothing new. Because, for instance, uh, he's been doing this since the 60s, his whole career. Uh, Blowing in the Wind is lifted from a 1980, from a, no, an, an 1830s uh, spiritual song. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's lifted these melodies throughout his career, and then he attaches his incredible lyrics uh, to them. So I thought that was just a, a point to bring up where, where someone, when people bring up that as a negative, he, he's, you know, this, he's based his career on, on that type of uh, action. And, and the other thing that I, I, along those same lines, and I, uh, this is something that really kind of, uh, you know, sort of dawned on me in the last three or four years when I started to really dig into his studio library uh, just how many cover ta- songs that, that he's done. Um, and, you know, he's recorded a lot of songs that aren't original material, uh, even with, you know, keeping the same lyrics. So, um, you, you know, that's that's all part of his complete body of work. He respects and he loves all genres of music. And even seeing him live, uh, um, you know, he, he'll do covers occasionally during his uh, live concerts as well. Uh, you, you don't, uh, Blatter, you'd also mentioned, you know, about the uh, the pacing of the uh, of the recording. One of the things that really stands out for me and has stood out throughout his whole career, but especially in this recording, is his phraseology. Mm-hmm. The pauses, the pauses before the next line, the, the breaks uh, of where he's putting the breaks, how he's placing his emphasis. Uh, and... You know, I consider him to be a great singer through as many vocals he's done. Uh, and I, I, I'm with you, Fred, that, you know, he really enunciated on this one. You can understand every word he was saying. But in that sense, you could, you, that's what made Sinatra great. Sinatra was not the greatest singer. He was the greatest phraseologist. And uh, actually, Sinatra loved uh, Bob Dylan and followed him and uh, for that reason because of the way he would phrase his words and that's again something that has changed after these 58 years of recording that's that's part of his genius you know when you listen to uh again i would call it more recent uh dylan uh you know in in the last two decades or, or whatever uh when you're trying to sing along <laughs> he will he will break cadence to make a point like where you think you know the next syllable is going to land it does not and 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 it kind of throws you off but he now he could be doing that because he's 79 uh, <laughs> but but my guess is he, he's doing it as a matter of emphasis yeah there there's always an intent to his delivery and he's been very consistent on that throughout his career um you know, uh, one of the re- reviews I also read, and you kind of mentioned it about, you know, maybe not being blood on the tracks or blonde on blonde, but not far from that. And uh, they were talking about the way that he is punching the lyrics out. And uh, when you watch him perform an old video, especially songs from Blood on the Tracks, you you 
you can sense almost kind of this, uh, I don't want to call it anger, but this- uh, An urgency. Yes, yeah, great, great, uh, thanks. An urgency to the lyrics. Um, and so, uh, you know, ho hopefully there's, there's gonna be uh, a chance to see him perform some of these songs as well and uh, deliver it kind of that same way. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because he's been on the never ending tour for 32 years. Yeah. Uh, over 3,000 shows. Uh, I've seen maybe a dozen. 2,500 of them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, those shows range from utterly mesmerizing to extremely frustrating, particularly if you're going to see a greatest hit show because that's not what they are. But the interesting thing was is that the only thing that stopped the, uh, the never ending tour was. Uh, was uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the one thing that knocked him off the road in, uh, in all these years. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to him getting back on the road. I'm sure he'll be doing, whenever he does tour, he doesn't do a Greatest Hits tour. He plays a lot off of the uh, latest recording and not because he's trying to sell them, but because that's who he is at that time. That's, that's how he feels about his music at that time. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to hearing these songs live because he quite often, if you think they're good on the studio album, he quite often finds something even deeper uh, when he starts performing it live and really works them out. And, and also musically, where we talk about how he, he lifts or copies different melodies, when he does perform live, he often doesn't go with those same melodies. And he, and he changes up the, the, the song uh in a number of ways and it, it might be somebody else's melody but not the one that you heard on the studio version um and i think he does that deliberately so people can't sing along i would agree with that and if that's what you're expecting you're going to be really frustrated if you go to one of his shows if that's where you're looking to sing along to like a rolling stone you know he'll quite often even change lyrics uh that's the, the the last time that we saw him uh was the first time that I had heard, and I've seen him maybe four or five times now, but the last time we saw him was the first time that, that he had played Tangled Up in Blue. And I was extremely frustrated. I thought it was a terrible rendition. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it didn't have any of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the tempo and melody that the studio recording does. And, uh, and I wasn't alone on that either, because I remember reading the review, uh, I think in the free press the next day about how uh, that was kind of the low point of the evening, what <laughs> was his tangled up in blue. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, so, uh, Blado, I think you were gonna, were we gonna get into whether, do you still feel he's relevant then? I mean, based on this last recording or? Just recording aside, you know, I, I don't see how I don't see how you can't say he's he, he's not relevant. I, I mean, this is this is not a guy just like pumping out music for the sake of pumping it out. And uh, whether it's social commentary or um, it's just him bringing to uh, to the forefront kind of what's on his mind. Like, I think Murder Most Foul is is a fascinating sort of like. Um, you know, discussion on why, why 57 years later, does he write a 17 minute song about the JFK assassination? Like, like people don't talk about the JFK assassination anymore, right? I mean, 
you know, it, 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 over the decades, it's had its, you know, different conspiracy theories have come up and then they go away or whatever. And it, every once in a while, it sort of, you know, hits the, uh, the cultural topics, but uh, this is certainly a period where it hasn't really been in the forefront in any way. And yet he decides uh, not only to write the song about it, but, but make this opus basically about it and, and then um, re- release it, uh, what, about a month and a half before the album? Right, without even any announcement that a new album's coming or uh, this is just something I thought you guys might enjoy. It, 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 right. So, so when when an artist does that, I mean, if it was if it was anyone, like, and, and Dylan maybe is the only one that could have done it, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. Let's just say you, you know Neil Young released it. You, you'd have to say it's relevant now. Like, it, what what was motivating this? And I and and I haven't heard kind of what motivated Murder Most Foul. Well, I, I also consider that song to not only be about the assassination of JFK, but it's a, it's a trip through Americana since that moment and how that helped, how that moment in time, and Dylan's always been obsessed with time uh, and history, but how that moment in time, how it, how it shifted America and the impact it's had on it up to today. And that's the trip he takes you on. Hey, Fred, when you, when you were listening to the album, did you notice all of the different references to Americana, whether it's pop culture, whether it's, you know, pop culture from decades ago, there's lots of different references to different artists, different musicians, different, you know, times. And uh, uh, just, you know, kind of interesting that he's peppered it with that. No, I really didn't pick up on that. Because you were working. <laughs> well, I, I was working in, I, I think... I might actually have been a little bit more involved in the music versus the lyrics at the time, but not sitting and listening in a set of headphones. It's kind of understandable, you know? Yeah. I, um, I, I was looking at the forest, not the trees. You know, you mentioned Leon Russell and Liberace. And, oh, I remember the Liberace. You know, that, that jumped out at me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know why. And, and and the other one that I I, I think is really interesting and, and and also shows his complexity, uh, and uh, I, and I don't mean to really turn this into um, a review of the album per se, but the the song "Mother of Muses," and he gives this kind of positive shout out to the military, and he talks about how military leaders paved the way. Uh, for much of the civil rights movement. And uh, it, it's just kind of interesting because, you know, then you juxtapose that against... Um, Masters of War. Correct. That's, thank you. Yeah. yeah from 65. And, and uh, you, you know, you would think he has this great disdain uh, for the military. Um, so it, 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 you know, it, it really kind of, it always makes you kind of second guess him a little bit. And the lead song is really maybe embodies that, you know, better than anything else. And that is, I contain multitudes. And, and he's, he's, he's telling Dylan fans or Dylan critics, either one, he's telling you, you think, you know me, you don't. No, um, I agree. Yeah. That, that's exactly what that song's about. And so is uh, false prophet. Who people have always, <laughs> 
called him a prophet. And he's always said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a song and dance man is what I am. And uh, he's never considered himself that. So it's, it's kind of a pun on that as well. Uh, it's a funny it, um, find it did you find it to be a funny um because a, a lot of his recent recordings he you know beyond all of these uh very strong and powerful lyrics you know he, he'll just put in these one-line zingers that'll just put a little smile on your face uh yeah no i think I, I think there's always a lot of humor that is overlooked in his music even going way back like you know um uh you know you uh, leopard skin pillbox hat is a hilarious song. It's, it's hilarious. Um, you know, Al Franken couldn't have written that, written that song any funnier. Um, Did you guys pick up in the Goodbye Jimmy Reed song? He really wasn't talking about Jimmy Reed. He was talking about Jacob Dylan and how he's disappeared from the music scene. Uh, no. No, I, I didn't, and I I've listened to that now twice, and I I'll have to listen to it. I did see a bunch of stuff online about how people are get are, are doing all this, uh, you know, downloading and searching for Jimmy Reed stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess those are the Bob Dylan sycophants. I don't know. I I, I don't know. Maybe Dill, you're one of them. I don't know. Uh, no, not no, I'm not that bad. <laughs> but but in in terms of humor. There's a very funny song on it, and I've been reading the reviews, and I don't think – I think the reviewers take him too seriously as well. And, and it's this uh, song about my own version of you, and it and he he talks about building a Frankenstein uh, right. person, a Frankenstein woman, if you will, uh, of someone that he wants. And it's all very tongue-in-cheek. I, I don't think there's anything really deep in it. I, I think he's just having fun with this particular concept. Uh, you know, and then he talks about there's there is a little bit of uh, more pop culture in that too. Um, uh, is it is it Rambo or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Something is is in there like uh, you know, kind of uh, Terminator ish, uh, some, something along those lines. But yeah, no, it, it, he's always had a great sense of humor in his in his uh, in his music, and I think it's overlooked. Because people always yeah, are looking, and, and I do it too. You, you know, uh, uh, you know. I, I kind of mentioned earlier, it's dangerous to try and I think not dangerous in any you know real you know threatening way, but to try and read into his lyrics. I, I, Black Rider on this album is it about death or is it about protesters? And you can make a case for either one. And then it's just like, just just listen to the song, <laughs> you know, you, you, you'll just spin your head in mental gyrations over and over again, trying to figure out what he meant. Well, but that's the uh, point of, of any great art is to, you know, yeah, as you mentioned. Out, right, and, and, how, how you're going to interpret it yourself and uh, each listener is going to find their own meaning out of it. Uh, and reading a number of reviews in, in prep for the segment. Uh, I, I found a number of different um, uh, explanations, you know, for several of the songs, and and and, and every critic, you know, seemed to ha seemed to think that he was sort of pinning it down. Right. He's pro Dylan's probably the only, um, maybe the only singer songwriter that has books written about the meanings of his songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, correct. 
And, and he would probably say they're all trash. Right? Yeah, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Hey, if anyone really wants to sit through uh, some some really entertaining old video, uh, watch his interviews. Uh, uh, what was it, sixty five? Yeah, correct. Uh, right about when he was turning electric. Yeah, right, right after uh, Newport, and he's and there's a there are two YouTube videos uh, of him in front of the media giving an interview, and. It's hilarious, uh, and and yeah, and he's, Nob, he's just, he's just What was that, Dill? He's just toying with the uh, with these uh, uh, reporters, you know. He, he's just just having fun with them. But yeah, he's he's hilarious. He has quite a sense of humor. Yeah, I was saying that Nob. You know, whether you ever get into his music or not. Do yourself a favor and, and, and check out some of uh, some of those interviews. Uh, it's all one interview. I know it's in two parts on YouTube because mm-hmm. it's about okay. 45 minutes long. And uh, you'll get a really, really good um, idea of kind of his his distaste for, for news media and interviews and people trying to pin him down. And as Dill says, you know, he's just um, – you know, fucking with them. Uh, <laughs> and he also smokes about uh, 20 cigarettes during that time, <laughs> during that interview. It, it's also a great, um, it's just a great piece of pop culture uh, for what things were like back in the early 60s and, and kind of uh, uh, that uh, beatnik, you know, kind of scene where he was a pretty big star um, and people wanted to interview him, but they didn't know how to interview him. And and the questions they were asking were just r- ridiculous questions. So he just blew them off. It's very entertaining. So it's kind of like listening to Dear Leader. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand him, so he just blows them off. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> hey, I have a I have a question, and I'm not trying to be a smartass about it, but, you know, this this album is, you know, charting number one on all these different sites. I get it. I, I listened to it. I liked it a lot. Okay, I get it. Does any one of these songs have a prayer to get radio play even on any station? I'm just curious, and I'm not, not trying to be smartass, but I'm, I'm dead serious. Would you hear the number one album, according to these polls, are you going to hear any songs from the number one album on airplay anywhere? Other than some kind of boutique show on, you know, NPR on Sunday mornings. At <laughs> it's definitely NPR material. I don't know. Dale, what do you think? You'd be hard pressed to, but this has really been consistent for him for a big chunk of his uh, career where he just doesn't get that radio play, uh, you know, Murder Most Foul, which is 17 minutes long, it's just not going to get radio play, you know. They'll have to break it up into three parts. But uh, uh, it, but not because it's bad music, but because it's hard to classify or hard to find what station does this fall under their genre of music. But, you know, I could see some of these songs being played on, on a blues station or on the uh, Bruce Springsteen channel. 
uh, for sure. Okay. But, yeah, but, but not an FM. <laughs> not an FM. <laughs> if that's still around. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it certainly has to find a place in some specialized, you know, uh, you know, satellite radio. Um, but but even though you could hear it, you know, on, uh, yeah, some some station that that, that does kind of focus in on Leonard Cohen or uh, other Dylan stuff, you're probably not likely to. Um, yeah, I'm just and, curious. And, the fact that it's this number one album, okay. But where and it probably has a very good chance to win a Grammy, I would say, at this point in time. It'll certainly be nominated for uh, for several of them, finding out what category they're going to put it under. You, you know, you know, Fred, um, I, I think along the same lines as, as, as you do when it comes to that. And I think it just dates us. You, you know, that that the the commercial success of the album is sort of predicated on how much you hear it on some fm station <laughs> yeah. and that's that's what we were raised on right that's how we determined what was a hit and what wasn't and and oftentimes we that translated into what was really good music and what wasn't uh you, you know the, the the deeper tracks uh uh were just thought to be uh you know, side B's, right? Like never, never, never going to get the airplay and therefore they're not that good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Blatter, I had one more uh, point to bring up because I had brought up earlier about his relevancy and, um, you know, and we, we were talking about radio play. So a lot of young people aren't <laughs> maybe that into that into a uh, Dylan today, but, uh, you know, I, I, I look at songs like, uh, only a pawn in their game, which by the way, Dylan performed in 1963 on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial uh, with uh, with Martin Luther King by his side, right before Martin Luther King gave his, I gave a uh, dream speech. Uh, the death of Emmett Till, the lonesome death of Haiti Carroll. These songs resonate today <laughs> as strongly as they did 50, 55 years ago. So yeah, I, I think he's very much relevant. And one of the other reasons I think he's relevant is because these songs that changed that generation and then for me, you know, I, I, I found them in the, in the mid 70s or so, but these people have now aged and, you know, some of the, you know, in a small part, some of the decisions we've made in our life and some of the small directions we've taken in our lives are in part based on this cultural shift, this uh, genius that this artist has brought into our lives. So I think, yeah, it's the, the relevancy is, 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 is sublime and subtle at times, but, but it's there because it's music has affected so many people. And like you said, it's, uh, you know, the, the same things that he was speaking about, uh, you know, and blowing in the wind uh, are, are things that are, are, are still struggles of today. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's what makes them timeless. Exactly. His anti-war songs are, uh, you know, Masters of War and uh, With God on Our Side, you know, might resonate with someone today as they did 50 years ago yeah. and for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, you know, other ones I, I think are just, you know, there for the fun of it. I think uh, Idiot Win is a very funny song. <laughs> oh, that's a great song. Yeah. 
it just just you know he he wrote it about people and he just takes you know you know he's firing barbs at him but it's uh uh it's kind it's kind of humorous in the way that he does it yeah, very much so. typical dylan all right uh anything else there you wanted to add uh dill uh appreciate you uh coming in and uh adding your uh wealth of knowledge on Dylan to this conversation and the fact that he did release this uh, this week? No, I, I think we got it. I, I did want to mention one other thing is he, he's 79 and uh, you would think at this point in his career he'd be slowing down, but uh, just over the last few years, he, uh, you know, nine years ago he released Tempest, which was critically acclaimed, and he released five albums of Sinatra covers. Uh, the tour he's been on, he launched his own uh, uh brand of uh, fine whiskeys. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's a sculpturist, but uh, he also received the uh, Nobel Prize for uh, Literature in the last couple of years, uh, the first ever for a songwriter. So, yeah, that did uh, come without um, uh, some controversy because uh, it, it was about songwriting. And, um, uh, you know, I'm glad that they did. And, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know how better to honor somebody that has written the things that he's done, even though it really hasn't been in book form. Uh, so I, I think it was really fair and uh, good to see that they sort of expanded their mind a little bit beyond just, you know, novelist. Right. And, you know, you just think at a time when somebody's career would be winding down or they'd be, you know, resting on their laurels from the past. Uh, he continues to be who he was in 63, 62, which is he's always just he continues to just push boundaries and to this latest up to this latest release. Hey, you know, you, you mentioned something, and maybe we were remiss. Instead of doing uh, uh, this uh, pineapple concoction here, maybe we should have been sipping on uh, some Heaven's Door whiskey uh, because it is mighty fine whiskey. And uh, his rye uh, is, is the finest rye that I've ever had. Well, we'll uh, save that for another week then. Uh, I'm going to save it uh, until I get off the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I just want to. I want to thank you uh, for even having me on. It's always a pleasure for me to uh, to talk about one of my favorite artists. So thank you very much for having me on. Uh, no, thanks for joining. Any other yeah, thoughts? Have you. Any other thoughts on the beer before we sign off? I'm I'm still going. Not for me in this category. In this one, rather. Not for me. I just choked on the last bit of it. <laughs> Is that, wow. and that's the chunky parts, right? Yeah, that was something. Uh, I, I didn't choke it down, but it's not for me either. It just was a big disappointment. Yeah, that's that's, that's right. I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be having one more only because I've chilled it. So you know, but uh, it'll be about the last of it for me on this beer. All right. Good okay. Man. Terrific. All right, that was good. Learned it was. A All right. And. Uh, one more bottoms up here to Mr. Dillon, and we're out. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Politics, some culture and craft beer. Politics, and that is why you're here. Politics, bottoms up.